<laughs> so you have the 7-Eleven songs, right? Like, what a faithful God. That's kind of a 7-Eleven song. It, you know, the, the theology is so deep. I hope you got that. I was just being sarcastic. Then you got songs like this that are just, wow. You know, just... Both of them are needed for different circumstances. Amen? They're both useful. They're both helpful. But it's hard. It's hard to, to not sing hymns because the theology is deep. And that's what we're talking about this morning is theology from Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12. The Bible says in Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or reasonable... By the way, that word spiritual there, uh, I'm not going to get the Greek word right, but it means logical. That's why... Or reason. That's why in the King James... How many have a King James Bible with you? That's why in the King James you'll see reasonable. Um, it's because... That it's 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 like well duh <laughs> it, it 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 makes as you think through this well of course that's what I'm going to do that's if I would reason that's where I would come to that's why it's reasonable now when we look at it in today's language we don't think of it reasonable as a thinking logically word we think it's well that's reasonable you know I guess so <laughs> it's kind of ho hum so that's why it has been changed in our vernacular. In different, in different um, venues, in different translations of Scripture. But which is your spiritual or reasonable service of worship? And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what, is the will of, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This is a, a, probably one of the greatest passages in all of Scripture, to be honest with you. There is so much going on here. This morning, we're going to focus on the motivation to keep going and learning about the living, holy sacrifice acceptable to God. What does that all mean? Reasonable, logical service. What does that all mean? Now, we're not going to get through all of that this morning. This morning, I just want to focus on the practical aspect of where this comes in the text. I want to understand that. We have just preached from, I don't know how long. When did we start Romans? Does anybody tell me? Four, okay. Four years ago. We've been going through Romans. So all of you can remember everything that was said for the last four years. And anyways, those, that first 11 passages are full of theology. I mean, just saturated with theology. This is what God is, and this is what God is, and this is what He's done, and this is what He's done. We're going to do that this morning. I'm going to go through it all. Last week I tried something. It worked well for Josiah and his family. <laughs> and, and I'm thankful that they were bold enough to give us... All of us got to get that boldness, amen. Alright, I'll tell you. I got a little problem. It's called, I've got a dime-sized canker sore under my tongue. <sighs> and so, 
my body is adapting and my slurring words sometimes. Somebody get that. But the point of the matter is this. If we don't understand chapter 1 through 11, the very simple fact of all that God has done, if we can't figure that out, then there is no reason for you to be here this morning. There really isn't. Um, because the whole reason we're here is because there's a merciful God that loves us. And we in turn are beside ourselves thankful for what He has done. And so we come with the motivation of, I love the Lord and I want to know more about Him. It would be like Christianity today is something like this. Picture in your mind a marriage ceremony where you have a bride or you have a bride. And the groom's out fishing. He says, you know what? It is what it is. I, I, does he love her? What does he love? Fishing. Or self. Don't. Christ will never leave the bride at the altar. Think about that. He would never leave her there. Let me ask you this. When you get to know your wife or your husband, do you start, we talked about this earlier, but do you start finishing their sentences? You, all you have to do is look at her or him. By the way, if you're a her, you're looking at him. If you're a him, you're looking at her. And, and you're going to say, I know exactly what she's thinking. Because you love them. You want to spend more time with them because they love you. It's a mutual thing. And you say, well, that's a perfect marriage and no one's got that. That's true. No one's got that. But we've all had some instances of that within our marriage probably. And we can remember those times and, and yet the closer you get together, is it more sweet? Is everything more sweet? Absolutely everything's more sweet. And all of a sudden, it's not... It's Friday and the guys are going out. I'm going with them. It's forget you. I'm going back to my wife. <laughs> Amen? That love just keeps growing. Why? Because you're spending every day with them. Every day. And the more time you spend with them, that love grows. I will tell you that is the exact same things that happens with God. The only one that has a problem is us. He's perfect. He's there. He's for you. He's faithful. He's, and we're going to give you a list of things He is according to Romans chapters 1-11. through 11. And because of those mercies, how can we help but worship Him? That is the essence of this text. So, um, 
I wouldn't say that Dr. MacArthur is my favorite preacher, but if, if there are difficult things or things that I have a hard time understanding or um, thinking through, I go to him a lot. And I, I truly enjoy Dr. MacArthur. Matter of fact, if you're going to listen to someone on the radio, that's the guy to listen to. It's just, no, is he perfect? No, not even close to perfect. He's a man just like everybody else. But he brings the hard scriptures down to simple form. And this morning, <clears throat> Romans 12, 1 and 2, I think is his favorite passage because he's, he's got like six sermons or more on it. Just He loves it. And I've heard him multiple different passages and multiple different times, different sermons. One of these sermons... I. This morning, I want to use some of his information because I think it hits home perfectly for what I think this is trying to say. I, I'm, I'm positive about it. He is reminiscing of a young lady that came to him. And here's, here's what he said. And it's about this, this, and this text answers the question. He says this, I remember some time ago having a conversation with a young married girl who said she was really having trouble living the Christian life. How many would say, Pastor Graf, <laughs> we can all identify with that. <laughs> Amen? We can. Unfortunately, we can. Having trouble living the Christian life, she felt that she was doing things that weren't pleasing to the Lord. And she just didn't seem to be able to turn that around. She wasn't able to change that. She wasn't able to make it different. She confessed that she had been seeking more of God, was her terms. She was trying all the spiritual experiences. She had gone into the charismatic environment and she had tried to speak in tongues. She had been slain in the Spirit, so to speak, as they call it. She said, I'm trying to get all I can from God. If there's more, I'm, I'm trying to get it. I'm trying to get more of God. I, I, he hasn't, in essence, He hasn't given me enough. And I need more. How many people come to church because they want to get something? Um... I have a plan. I, I challenge you, if you want to look at, at reasons why to come to church, just type that into a Google and oh my goodness. There are pages after pages after pages after pages about why we come to church. The number one reason that I've seen buried in all, or, or mixed with all of what they're saying, it's all about me. The reality is, it has nothing to do with you or me. We come to service because, we come to church because we love the Lord. We want to worship Him for what He has done for us together. We worship Him by helping each other out, by serving one another. I love, and, and, and listen, this is not prideful. It's not arrogant. I'm not saying anything of the sort. God has made me love you to preach the word. That is my service to you. 
That is how I serve you. Now, I serve many of you in many different ways. But that's one way I serve you. That is not just a pastor job. Thank you, somebody. (laughs) Every one of us have a special, unique gift that is to be used to serve other people. Some of you just sit down and listen to people go on and on and on and on. I can't do that. I'm going to get this. But some of you, God has gifted you to, and you can just sit there and love them and care for them and help them. Those are for you. And I will tell you, if, you, if that's you, there are people like that in this church that need you. And I can't, I can't fulfill that role. I'm a black and white guy. Would you just suck it up and go? That doesn't work. That's why God created a body of believers. I am just one, just like you. When I come to church, I'm looking who I can serve, who I can help, how I can help them. That's what church is all about. It's about God and serving others and serving Him. That's what it's about. Unfortunately, this lady had it all wrong. I really like the music. It's so cool. No, you're bouncing up and down. It's not that you like the words to the song. You like the tunes. And and to be honest, there are tunes I like. (laughs) But that's worshiping to me, not to Him. That words of the text are just dripping with theology saying, this is who you are and how great you are and praising Him. Amen. But why do you do that? You only do that because you know Him more. Where do you know Him more? Through the preaching and teaching of the Word and the reading of the Word. Amen? The more you digest, the more you ingest, the more you um, embrace God and His Word, the greater you will know Him and all of a sudden your mind is going to blow up of how great He is. This morning, I've got a list of just going through the text in Romans. You're going to follow along with me, Lord willing. And we're just going to see all of what, who God is through the whole text of Romans chapter 1-11. through 11. And it's awesome. John MacArthur told this, her, his response to this lady, well, is, with all due respect, ma'am, this is exactly opposite what you should be doing. Your Christian life is not dependent on what you get from Him. It depends on what you give to Him. It's not about getting. It's about giving. All of us, especially adults, children maybe not so much, but for sure the adults. I hate getting gifts. But I love giving gifts. How many understand that? I just love it. I, I just... I want to see their face, their smiles. I want to serve them. I want to be able to impact their lives for Christ. There's a young man right now. I just wrote to him. His birthday was last week. I wrote to him and said, man, I miss you. I love you. I think of you often. I'm praying for you on your birthday. We need to reach out to people that aren't here. Love them. That's what church is. If church becomes... Where's the donuts? We're not only going to become a bad church, we're going to become a fat bad church. 
right? But you get what I mean. It's not about us. It's about Him. Why are you here today? Many people evaluate a church on the basis of what they get out of it, what they get from it, what it delivers to them. That again, it is opposite the necessary perspective. If one is going to live a godly and useful life, it's not about what you get, it's about what you give. And that is crystal clear in Romans chapter 12. Where are you today? Why are you here today? I am so thankful you're here. I truly am. You see, the more people that are here, the more you can interact with each other and serve one another. The more you can encourage one another and love one another. These verses here in 12, 1 and 2 express that the Christian life is primarily an act of worship in which we give ourselves. And I will express this, the Christian life is all worship. It is all worship. And it's all worship of the one who is all act. What does that mean? Do you know God never stops acting? He never stops doing. That's what I mean. Never stops working if you understand that work is not toilsome for Him or hard. Never stops. He keeps everything together. His eyes even on the sparrow. If it's on a sparrow, how much more is it on you as His child? Amen? We've had 11 chapters of doctrine about salvation. This is the first practical injunction with the exception of a few encouragements back in Romans 6 and 8. This is where the epistle itself turns practical. Now that you know this, this is what the practice is. And that's what theology is. Folks, this is a church and unashamedly, unapologetically at all, this church will preach doctrine and theology from the pulpit every Sunday. Because that's what we're about. And what that doctrine and what that theology does is it impacts our lives if we love God. And it comes out in our practice. We become more and more like Him. This is where the epistle turns practical, if you will. It's where the theology comes into practice. Because of this, here it is. And the first th thing to say is very important. The first thing is give yourself up as a living sacrifice. Your response to what God has done for you is to give to God a spiritual offering. Namely, yourself. That's what he's saying. He is going to, and I'm going to show you today, he has done this, he has done this, he's done this, he's done this, and I'm guessing it's about 15 things that I'm going to bring up and show you in the text. Because he's done all this, this is the least you can do. And by the end of it, you should say, well, duh, yes, I have to, I want to do that. 
Some of you have teenagers in the row that you're in. And sometimes it's hard for them to get up. How many understand that? I don't want to go. I will tell you this. I think it's extremely important. If there are young people in your home, in my home, if there are young people in my home, or whoever is in our home, they will be coming to church. Whether they feel like it or not, they're coming. Because I am responsible for my home. I am to train them. Now, when they get out on their own, am I going to beat them up because they don't go to church? I wish they would go to church. But that's their decision. But shame on me if I make church, uh, if I feel like it, attendance. I would hope to hear a thousand amens from three, 30 people. Does that make sense? Listen, folks. God has placed you in charge of that home. You are in charge. They need to be here. I'm brokenhearted to see how many people, well, my work schedule, my work, my work. Well, it's every Sunday. Get a different job. It's that simple. Work has become an excuse. Now, I understand some people have to work. I get it. Believe me, I get it. Sorry, Mrs. LaPlante, but after church, I've got to go work. <laughs> so I get it. But forsaking the assembling of ourselves together is not only a sin, it's sin against a direct command from God. It's wickedness. I mean, I don't know how many times I, I've sat down with people and say, Pastor, we're thinking of leaving and we're going to go down because I got an opportunity down here and I, we're thinking about doing that. What do you think? I said, well, where are you going to go to church? Uh, I, I don't know. What's more important? Listen, folks, there are churches everywhere. If God has called you somewhere else, the number one thing you need to find out is what church is there and do they preach the Word? Because He is what life is all about. <clears throat> this is to be a living sacrifice, the Bible says. Holy, acceptable unto God. I'm going to go through this quickly and then we're going to get right into where we, my plans are so we don't run out of time. Remember the therefore. Therefore, in verse, that first verse, it's, it's because of all of chapters 1 through 11, which we'll share, we'll share with you today. <clears throat> I urge you, urge is really a command. It's a command. It's not a, you know, if you feel like it or not. Because what he's doing is saying, based on what God has done for you, this is what you do. You do. It's not, you know, this is what God does for you. You can just throw that away and live your life as you please. He's saying the exact opposite. How could you know what God has done for you and live like you want to live in the flesh? Does that make sense? That's what he's saying. We talked to you about all that last week. This is a, 
a term that's used all the time, brethren. He's talking to saved people here. He's not talking to unsaved people. He's talking to saved people. Has to be a believer. Now, the God of mercy. All of what we're talking about is based on the mercies of God. If you look at the text, it says, by the mercies of God. Now, we don't... Some people believe that we do works by Christ. That is true, but that's not what this is saying. What this is saying is, because of all of God's mercies that I just showed you in chapters 1-11, through because of all those mercies, this is what you will do. Why? Because every true believer loves the Lord. Amen to that. Do you love the Lord? That is, a, that is a mark of a true believer. Do you love the Lord? Okay. You love the Lord. So then what? What does that look like? What does that love look like? Well, as a Christian, it looks like at the bare minimum, coming with together in a group of believers and worshiping and serving each other. That's what that love looks like. That is what God has set aside to show you what that love looks like. Amen. God of mercy, He is a merciful God. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell. Severity, but to you, God's kindness. If you continue in His kindness, otherwise, you also will be cut off. I mean, what is this saying about God? He is saying that God is a kind God. Is that not true? God is kind. And what does He expect us to do if He has saved us? Stay with Him. Enjoy His kindness. Amen? And by the way, you can enjoy... I enjoy His kindness out in the mountains. Talk about beautiful. You get to the mountains and there's these... I mean, you get up where, past the tree line where, it's, where there's nothing, no trees grow at all. And you get way up there. And you look down and see... It's just so beautiful. I'm afraid of heights, so it freaks me out a little bit. But other than that, I remember one, it was, it was Scott. Scott and I went up this mountain and these boulders are this big, are all twisted together and you step on one and then it wants to fall. It's like, you know, we shouldn't be up here. It's just, God created all that beauty. That, he, he, he created this for His love, because of His love for you. How many enjoy to go fishing? How many enjoy to uh, go bike riding? Or to be, go fall colors? Oh, wrong season. <laughs> How many are excited about seeing the crocuses come up? and All, all these beauties. These are th- God's graces to us. Amen? They're beautiful. Seeing a garden. God is kind. The second verse, David said to Gad, I am in great dis- distress. Let us now fall into the hand of the Lord, for His mercies are what? Great. But do not let them fall into the hand of man. Don't let me fall into the hand of man. Let me fall into the hand of God, because He has great mercy. By the way, we praise the Lord for His mercy, because... Without it, we are totally undone. So, take your Bibles, if you will, with me, please. And we're going to go to Romans chapter 1. 
And the only thing we're doing today, which is very different than normal, what we are doing today is we are going to <clears throat> we are going to um, go through the passages of scripture of oh, man, I got these out of order. I told the Sunday school class I had three hundred pages of material, and I was not lying. But now one of the first pages that I was supposed to use is gone. All right. Let's look at verse chapter 1. Usually we would exegete the whole thing, but we can't exegete that text unless we understand back here. So that's where we're going. The Bible says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God... Those mercies, so he's going to say, I beg of you because what I have written in chapters 1 through 11, what you know about God in chapters 1 through 11, because of this, then you will do this. Why? Because of how great God is. I hope you get a glimpse as we look at it. For 11 chapters, the Apostle Paul has been delineating the mercies of God. We're not talking about a mercy. Singular. We're talking about multiple mercies. Multiple graces that God gives us. These things given that are undeserved. That these mercies, things that are presented to us, granted to us, applied to us, credited to us, and we do not deserve it. Not a one of us deserve a home in heaven. Nobody in here deserves that. There's nothing you have personally done to deserve that. It's what God has done and it's through His Son and our submission to Him that we can have eternal life with Him. Amen. But it's not what we have done, but what He has done and what He is continuing to do. Based upon the mercies of God, we are to present our body as a living sacrifice. Those mercies are all bound up in our salvation. They have to do with the salvation of the soul. So that, that's why it's the first point here. Our brothers, that's why it says our brothers, who have received the mercies of God, their souls have become God's possession. They've put their souls on the altar. They are Christ's. They're His. That's salvation. You come spiritually bankrupt, right? When you were, before you were saved, you were without God alone, destitute in this world. But God, in His great mercy, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. He saved us, amen, by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. You are and I are to pay for our own sins, but Christ changed that. In order for us to pay our, uh, the price that we were to pay because of our sins is eternity in hell, but Jesus Christ bore our sins on the cross to take our penalty away from us. If, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, there is no other way. You cannot work your way to heaven. There is nothing you can do to earn it because we're sinners, thanks to Adam, saturated in depravity. But God gave us a way out. 
So He gives us salvation. Let me ask you, is that not a good enough mercy to say, yeah, He's giving me salvation. I deserve eternity in hell and He's giving me salvation? What an awesome God that is! Why would I not? He saved my eternal life! Why would I not want to serve Him? Of course I do. That's the overall picture. That's just a mercy. There are many, many more. He expands on the mercies of God in chapters 1-11. through He incorporates many things that are part of salvation. Uh, Literally, he lays all that out in chapter 11. All the provision of God's wonderful mercy for man's sin. Salvation with all of its components. Romans has an impressive list. One of the mercies of God is divine love. Divine love. And that is celebrated in in the first 11 chapters many, many times. Look at verse 7. To all who are what? Beloved of God. Let me ask you, who probably is the most popular president in the world today? In the positive realm. Positive realm. Right now, though, Zelensky? How many would agree with that? Zelensky would probably be the most popular. I'm not saying that you have to agree with that. That's fine. I'm just saying he is. Many people, if, they, if he would look, if Zelensky would pay attention to him, they're like, oh, cool. Right? Many people would. <laughs> But just pick anybody. The queen. I don't care who you pick. But we, we have this idea that these are important people and if they pay attention to us, well, that makes us really feel good. Well, this is none of those twerps. This is God. And He not only pays attention to you, but He calls you His beloved. Is that awesome? I'll calm down. Is that awesome? He is our beloved. Verse 7. Beloved God, beloved of God in Rome. He's called the saints. Grace to you. Peace from God our Father. What do we find right there? We find in just that verse, we find beloved, graceful, peaceful. All these are given to us. These are mercies. These are mercies. So we're starting in verse 7 and moving all the way through these chapters and finding its culmination and end of chapter 8. Let's go there quickly. Chapter 8. Verse 31. Oh, let's start above there. Because it's it's just an awesome text. But if we hope for what we have did not see with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. In the same way, the Spirit helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as if we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us 
with groanings too deep for words. So he, even though we don't know exactly how to pray, God the Father understands because the Spirit helps our prayer. Verse 28. And we know that God causes what? What things? All things to work together for what? Good. To those who love God, to those that are called according to His purpose. So, everything that happens, you know, how many have had bad circumstances in your life? It's God has a plan. God has a good plan for you. Your good is in His mind and in His plan, according to the text. All things. And then he says, whom he foreknew, he predestined. He conformed them to the image of his son. He predestined, he called, he justified, he also glorified. He's done all this for you because he loves you. Look what he says in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, how many of you that are born again would say, Amen, God is for us? Absolutely, He's for us. If God is for us, well then, who in the world can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son. And then He shows His love here. He didn't spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all. How will He not also freely give us all things? In other words, just as sure as Jesus died on the cross, God sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. He gives us all things that we need. That's what He says. Who will bring a charge against the elect? Now let me ask you, how many of you have been laughed at or people poke fun at you or, or call you something that they shouldn't call you? You know what I'm talking about? Put a charge against you? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Matter of fact, you probably when people say go to, you know, H E double hockey sticks, they're charging you, go there. Well, here's the deal. God says this. Uh, God's the ones that justifies. It's not up to them. Their opinion doesn't matter, is what he's saying. It is irrelevant. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? And what was that love like? He died in your place. That's pretty big love. No one has loved me like that. And no one has loved you like that. He died in your place. Rather, He was raised he sits at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Then he goes on. I, if you don't think that's good enough, let's keep going. Let's, should we do that? All right. <clears throat> Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation? What's the answer? No. Will distress? No. Will persecution? No. Okay, there's like five people involved in this. We have a few more words left. Here we go. Will famine separate us from the love of Christ? Will nakedness? Will peril? Will death? 
Just as is written, for your sakes we are put to death all the day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we are, over we are overwhelmingly conquering through Him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything created, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me ask you, does God's divine love eternal? And nothing can change that. Wow! I was with one of our family, almost family now, friends in Montana. And uh, they looked at me and said, Tim, in one second we bite each other's head off, the other, the other second we're punching each other or we're punching other people out that are hurting them. <laughs> How many understand what she's talking about? There gets bits and scraps. But there's love. God will never bite your head off. He has an internal divine love that nothing or no being can ever get rid of. And it's focused on you. According to the text, if you believe the Bible, which I tend to do, So there's divine love. One of the other ones is one of the mercies of God is not only divine love granted to an unworthy sinner, but secondly, is grace. Is grace a mercy? You better believe it. We find that in verse 7. God in Rome called us saints. Grace to you. God's grace. You find this not only here, but you find it in chapter 3. By the way, I should do this. Keep a running total here. <clears throat> chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6. Do you get the idea? You'll find it in chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 11. All the way through it, you will find grace. God gave us grace. What is grace? Getting what you don't deserve, not getting what you do deserve. That's a simple definition. Yeah, all our sins, Jesus paid for on the cross. So as a Christian, you have a choice. Do I keep sinning so God gets His money worth out of Christ? Or do I do my best to hate sin? I will tell you this, the closer you come to Christ, the more you'll hate your sin. The more you know of the mercies of God, the more you hate and despise the sin. It's, it's interesting how God designed all this. Amen? <clears throat> 
You find also that He gives us the Holy Spirit. Through this text, you'll see, you'll see throughout this text that the Holy Spirit was given to us. He spares us. He prays for us, which we just read. You find in Romans 8, we find a ton of things that He has given us. In chapter 1, we find peace of God. Everybody wants peace. You, there, will no be, there will be no peace. No peace. Until everyone's heart is turned to God. And God is here ruling and reigning. Until that time, there will be no peace. Now, I'm going to protect my family. And there's a, if there's a war, I'm going to protect my family. By the way, that's a God-given responsibility. But realize, there's no peace until Christ comes. Our hope isn't the next president. For all we know, in the kookiness that's going on, it's going to be worse than this one, if that's even possible. Right? I mean, we didn't put him there. Actually, God put him there. And it, okay, here's opinion. I'm gonna say something opinionated instead of the, from the word. All right. I truly believe God put Biden in as our president to slap all of us awake. That is the greatest wokeness I've ever seen, and the only one that might be biblical principled. <clears throat> So we find peace in chapter 1, in chapter 2, in chapter 5, in chapter 8. It talks about peace with God that is granted to us from the mercies of God. You know, we've got this big test going on. Well, study, do your work, amen, study, and then have, peace, have the peace of God within you. When someone dies, they're gone praying prayerfully. They're in heaven. They put their trust in Christ, but that's the peace of God. You know, we could pull our hair out if we let all these distractions get in our way let God be God the peace of God there's nothing like that I tell you what I, <clears throat> I'm always calm and cool collective quiet and I love sitting alone with all these cupids with whatever angels and Think and ponder those. That's not me. I want to go from here to there to there to there. I want to just get things done. And it's easy. It's easy to lose sight of Christ. And when something doesn't go your way or my way, you know what I mean? It happens. The peace of God is a great mercy of God. Here's another one for you. Uh, the Holy Spirit, the peace of God, the comfort of God. You find comfort in chapter 1, verse 12. Text says, This is that is that it may that I may be an encouragement together with you while among you, each of you, each of us, sorry, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. What is that? Be encouragement, be a comfort. God is the God of comfort. One of my favorite friends, my greatest friend in the world, 
apart from my wife, was my grandfather. And I was able to talk about him and share what God did in his life to a church that was overflowing and out into the parking lot. Down in the big town of Ossipee, Minnesota. <laughs> I hate it that he's gone. In the flesh. I am comforted that he is with Christ and enjoying Jesus and what he has. The comfort. There are a lot of people who can't have that comfort at a funeral. I had a young man who's just becoming a pastor. I met with them probably three weeks ago. And he's like, yeah, I don't know how to deal with people that come to me. They want me to do their funeral, but I know nothing about them and I don't, I don't want to put them in hell. Well, first of all, it's not, and so I, was, I said, listen, first of all, it's not up to you to put them in hell. That's not your job. But here's what I would do. Luke chapter 16. Lazarus and the rich man. And if you read that story, here's how I would preach, and this is what I will do every time there is an unsaved person, or I, I don't know. I said, listen, I did not know this man, but I will tell you, wherever he is, Today, He wants you to know this truth. Jesus Christ died for your sin. Why can you say that? Because Nicodemus or uh, Lazarus knew it, and the rich man said, "Go tell them." So it's not me putting them there. They they made that choice through their life. Uh, God puts God throws people into hell that have rejected Him. The text says. <clears throat> but what comfort! What comfort to know that they're with Christ. 20 times in the open 11 chapters, faith is granted to us. Faith. Could you imagine living a Christian life without faith? Think about that. But that can't exist exactly. Faith is the prerequisite to salvation. And if you can't believe no one seeks after God. If that's not possible, God has to grant you faith. He has to give you a mercy and that mercy is faith. Amen. He gives us faith. Faith is granted to us. Faith to believe and apprehend salvation as a mercy of God. You find comfort, chapter 1, verse 12. Power. Chapter 1, verse 16. Patience. I'm, there's going to be so many in here. Power. Uh, verse 16 in chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the what? Power of God. That power changed your life. Or is changing your life. You have power. You have hope in chapter 5. Hope again in chapter 8. In chapter 9 through 11. By the way, could you imagine life without hope? I will give you a perfect example. Every one of you will get this immediately. Because we're all Viking fans. Do you understand that? I know that's not true, that we're all Viking fans. 
But why do we watch them? Why do we watch any sport? It's the hope. Well, folks, listen. The hope that God gives is guaranteed. There's no if. Truly guaranteed. See, He gives us power. He gives us divine love, grace, Holy Spirit, peace, comfort, patience. Oof. Is patience important? I come from a line of very impatient people my entire life. And I thank God that He has put very patient people alongside of me so I can grow. Amen. Because I tell you what, everyone affects each other. I am so thankful for the patience of people in my shortcomings. Because I have shortcomings. Besides my height, I have shortcomings. Let me ask you this. If God did not give you the mercy, if He wasn't patient with you, we would have taken home even before we were born. The Bible calls it long-suffering. Remember your child that is just disobedient, 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 but you love him so much, you don't want to hurt him, you want him to see him succeed. You're patient. And then that young man or young lady turns into a man or woman of God. Amen? Someone was patient with you, we need to be patient with others. God showed his patience on us. Amen. What a what a great mercy. His kindness, we talked about that one already, but his kindness is found in chapter two, two, chapter two, verse four. The Bible says, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? The only reason you're saved is because the divine love, the grace, the Holy Spirit, peace, comfort, patience, kindness. That's why you're saved. Without those, why would I want a God any other different? Amen. The kindness of God. We get to share in His glory. We get to share in His glory. Just rest on that for a second. Everything that has ever been done is for the glory of God, and we are going to share in that. Wow. Man, if you love the mountains of Colorado, by the way, the mountains of Colorado are actually higher than the mountains of Montana. But if you love the mountains, can you imagine what an undepraved world is going to look like? Each of these things, everything we've seen is tainted. Someday they won't be. Oh man. Man. Some people, that's why, that's why I, just, I just laugh when, when a professor tells me, yeah, there's golf courses in heaven. I said, that's hell. That's not heaven. You're nuts. If that's how shallow you think, wow, that's crazy. Honor. 
We get to share in His glory. Chapter 2, verse 5. Chapter 8, chapter 9. But also, God shares with us also His honor. Chapter 2, verse 10. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. By the way, who does good has this idea. That's those that are born again. Doesn't mean you work your way to heaven. It never has met that. It never will. It's that a true believer will do good works. It's the purpose of your salvation is good works. And it's repeated again in verse chapter 9. So, here's a list, but there's more. Not that I want to put one above the other, but this one's huge. God graced us. His mercy is His righteousness. You see, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And for at least the last, let's say the earth is 7,000 years old. I'll just throw that out there. Please, Mr. Scientist, we'll go through text with you. Okay. But let's just say it's 7,000 years old. For 7,000 years, people have been trying to figure out how to jump that gap between themselves and God. They've tried good works. Listen, folks, your good works are as filthy rags. They tried baptism. Folks, baptism is a picture of your already salvation. It doesn't go the other way around. Some people think, well, how about the Eucharist? I actually ingest the blood and body of Christ. Folks, this is actually grape juice and a wafer that tastes terrible. It is not the actual body and blood of Christ. That was done on the cross once for all time. Not again. It's a remembrance ceremony and these are used for us to remember Him. <clears throat> and by the way, worship Him. Because how can you not remember what Christ done and not worship Him? <clears throat> Righteousness. That's the theme starting in chapter 1 and writing all the way through chapter 10. Matter of fact, it's, he goes on, he says, you Jewish people, you're, you think you can get your righteousness by the law. You're nuts. And, and, there, and here's what, you think you can get it by the law? Well, by the law you will die too. And they will die. And they will spend eternity in hell. Because the only way to righteousness is in and through Jesus Christ alone. There is no righteousness apart from Him. So He's given us divine love, grace, Holy Spirit, peace, comfort, patience, kindness, share in His glory, honor, righteousness, forgiveness. Oh man. Forgiveness. Look what we have done to Christ. Every time we sin, we stick our nose out at Him and our tongue out at Him. 
and Christ forgives. The forgiveness is found in chapter 4. Reconciliation. What does that mean? Reconciliation. Made right? My life was made right because of His death on the cross and my trusting in Him. Justification. We find these all the way through chapter um, uh, we find it in chapter 4, forgiveness, reconciliation, chapter 5. Fifteen times justification is found in chapters 1 through 11. Justification. How about this one? I feel so bad. I, I feel so bad for two different groups of people that are on either side of this issue. How can you live if you do not know, if you're a four-year-old child and you can't trust your mom to provide you food the next morning? How can you live? What fear are you living in? Horrible. Horrible. Christ never leaves us nor forsakes us. Christ gives us eternal life. I feel sorry for people that believe that it's up to them to keep or to get or to keep their salvation. It's not up to you. It's up to Christ. It's Christ's job. It's His blood. On the same token, I feel sorry for those that believe that, hey, I said a prayer and I can live like I want to live. I have eternal security. Both of those extremes are wrong. They're wrong. Jesus Christ gives us eternal life. It is eternal. We, he will never leave us nor forsake us. No one can ever pluck him out of our hand or pluck us out of his hand. But the reality is that doesn't give us a license to sin as we please. And if that's the attitude, I'd seriously doubt your salvation and you better check it. But God gives us security. Isn't, okay, everybody, listen, if you're, our government gives us security. What kind of security is that? What is it called? Social security? I was born in 69. I doubt that will ever be around when I'm there. Regardless, what security is it? <laughs> there ain't much there. People will fail, but God will never fail. We are secure because God makes us a secure. It's His mercy. Eternal life. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I want to spend too much time on these things. We are secure forever by the Holy Spirit. Chapter 5 and chapter 8 tells us that. Another is eternal life. Another is freedom. Freedom from the power and penalty of sin. Another is a resurrection. We shall be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. Amen? There will be a resurrection. We're going to be with Christ. 
Another is sonship. We are adopted as sons. Another is ongoing intercession. Jesus continues to intercede for us. Do you get it that the mercies of God and all those are found in this text alone and we have a whole text of Scripture to go through. We're going to be here a while. How many understand what I'm trying to say? I cannot exhaust the mercies that God has given to each and every one of us. I can't exhaust it. I can't preach long enough. I can't read long enough. There are new mercies every day. Based on that, what are you going to do for Christ? That's the text. Well, I don't see... There's no Ford truck here. How many understand what I'm saying? There's there's no health and wealth in the lines. Doesn't promise that stuff. There's no... There's no Honda Rancher. There's no 30-point buck. There's no 30-inch walleye. There's no brand new spiffy clothes. Where's all that? If that's where your mind's going to, again, you better check your salvation. Because this list that God has given you, just in Romans... You just take one of those and that's more than anybody in this world could ever give you. And God lavishes this on you. So what's our response? Well, we're going to learn next week our response is, here my Lord, whatever you want. Or as the song says, here I am to worship. Here I am to fall down before you. And by the way, that's not just on Sunday. You worship God in how you work. You worship God in how you play. You worship God in how you rest. Everything you do is a worship to God. Problem is, we misworship him multiple times. How many have a view? How many understand the point I'm trying to make? I used a whole Sunday for this very point. His mercies are inexhaustible. You can't exhaust them. And they're all lavished on us. Therefore, give God your bodies, which is your reasonable service. It's, well, duh, this is what He's done for me. What can I do for Him? That's the question we need to ask. What can I do for Him? Serve your fellow neighbor. Serve your fellow person in the, ch- in the church here. Serve people. Serve God. That's what God wants you to do. Serve others. The Bible says this, love the Lord your God. With, what are, he said, what's the greatest commandments? Remember the question? What is the greatest commandments? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then what? Love others as yourself. Those are the two. So if you're going to say, how can I respond? Well, duh. (laughs) 
They're right there. So the reason you come to church is because you love the Lord and what He's done. And you want to thank Him and praise Him. The mercies of God are awesomely, unbelievably inexhaustible. All that God wants back is you. I mean, let's face it. A life without God isn't worth living. It's our reasonable, logical, it's, well, of course, service. It is, we are created to be worshipers of God. I pray that this week we worship God in everything we do. Mr. Zarin's going to come and pray. I'm going to tell you I am uh, not interested. I am, I shouldn't say that. I am interested in talking with you, but you're not interested in talking to me. So um, I do have a cold, so stay away from me. If you don't care, I'd be more willing to talk to you, but I'm going to purposely keep my distance. Mr. Zarin, can you please come and close our service? Let's stand, please, we'll be dismissed in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we've taken these few moments to contemplate the different mercies that you bestow upon us every day, Lamentation said, your mercies are new every morning. Father, we have all been recipients of them. Father, has our response really been a proper one? Have we truly done everything we should for the glory of God? The answer is no. But God, that should be our heart's desire. And may it be our desire this week as we go among the lost around us. Father, help us to spread the gospel. And Father, let us motiv be motivated by your perfect love, which is only in Christ.